Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Welcome, everybody, to the season two of the Here We Are podcast. This is the second episode, a bonus episode. You're getting two episodes this week. Starting off strong, we're going to stick with this theme of, uh, of homelessness for, for this week. Um, talking with Central City Concern this, this time. Uh, quite a character. He's been through it all, addiction and homelessness, and uh, found his way out of it, and now helps others. And really entertaining episode. And I just wanted to very quick quickly remind you guys that we're doing doing something a little bit differently with the charity this week. I've, I got the Central City Concern to create a separate link, so you'll still be going, being directed to their site, but you'll see it. It has like the Here We Are podcast and everything on there. So if you go to the herewearepodcast.com website and click on the link from there to donate, I'm going to start trying to figure out how uh, we're going to start tracking how many people are donating, how much, and, and maybe eventually we'll be able to um, uh, figure out how to um, kind of advertise this to uh, to encourage other other listeners to um, donate when they see that uh, that other people are doing that. And uh, I don't know, still just kind of feeling it out. But for now, this first step is we uh, got to figure out how to track it first. And so this is kind of like a beta test. So um, I, I know a lot of my listeners aren't in Portland, um, but. Uh, Regardless, you're still helping people in need and you're helping me out figure out this so so that I'll be able to do more charity stuff like this in the future and, and encourage more support. So if you can please um, go to the herewearepodcast.com website and click on the charity link for there, even if you just give a dollar, two or five or a hundred, um, whatever. But but donating literally anything at all will will help at least kind of figure out how to how to track this. Um, so, yeah give it a try i'd appreciate it very much this is a free podcast that i dump a lot of money into and a lot of time and a lot of energy so if you could uh show show a little bit of support i'll never charge for the podcast but if i if i know that i'm 
doing something to um, help make a difference perhaps or inspire others to make a difference that that's the sort of thing that drives me so um so go here we are podcast.com website click on the donate link for the central city concern and take it from there thank you guys are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast this week i am back at the central city concern in portland and i'm talking with gary cobb who is the community outreach coordinator and director of awesomeness here at (laughs) central city concern Uh, hello gary how are you doing Doing quite well, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll get back to your edits on this one. <laughs> Thank you for that kind introduction. Thanks for uh, being here. I, Welcome I, to Portland. I heard you you made a lot of the awesomeness happen uh, around here. Uh, that's um, it, it was self-reported. Uh, yes, granted. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, if no one else is guy, my agent's out of town right now, so uh, I had to take advantage of uh, promoting myself. So. So, Gary, it sounds like you have uh, quite an interesting history here um, at at, uh, uh, at the Central City Concern. How did you get involved? Uh, well, uh, yes, it has been an interesting history. I got involved, um, see, came to uh, CCC uh, um, to get services in November of 2000, November 14th of 2000. And uh, prior to that, uh, my life was um, consisted of um, lots of homelessness, uh, long bouts of homelessness, uh, long bouts of um, addiction, um, you know, criminality, um, uh, also long bouts of trying to make some changes in my life uh, and not really getting into the right door, if you will. And um, so... Uh, during that time, um, uh, from prior to 2000 and the whole time I, uh, uh, was living on the streets, there was good programs, but there wasn't, um, something like I encountered when I got here. And so on November, uh, 14th of 2000, um, um, almost 15 years ago, almost 15 years coming up on 15 years. Yeah. Pretty excited. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, um, actually got into Hooper on November 16th, but um, I started that search uh, uh, a couple of days early and um, yeah, November 16th got into Hooper Detox, <clears throat> was interviewed by the mentors of the Recovery Mentor Program, and which was, it, I had no idea what they were trying to sell me. It was a very interesting um, interview because uh, there's three of them and, and I, I, I tell people that when they came in to to ask me what it is I was wanting to do, I I didn't really have an answer. I did know that I wanted all the madness and all the um, just all the misery to stop, but I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to stop using, which I was having a hard time even wrapping my head around. Like all the misery and stuff was created by my addictions, and you know. You know, that was still buttoned up against other social determinants of health. But at any rate, um, 
my addiction caused me to get into Hooper and have this conversation. And looking at the mentors um, was kind of baffling because they were dressed pretty straight, uh, uh, you know, I mean, in street clothes. They didn't look like any other clinician type of people that I had been interviewed with before. And um, they actually looked like people I'd cop dope from or use with, except that what was different, I noticed right away, they, their clothes were clean and their 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 eyes had a little bit of this clarity and cleanness to them and mm. you know they they all had mullets except for jill and i was really worried that if she had come in wearing like a a chick mullet that uh because i asked him i said do i have to have a mullet to <laughs> come into your program if, if we get, only have yeah, one rule exactly. here if i get clean <laughs> do i have to have a mullet and uh i mean i had enough hair at the time to pull it off but uh, uh so we got past that and um <laughs> and they accepted me into their program and it was interesting um Right after that, I did an interview that same day with a, another gentleman at the VA, and um, and and I don't say What's this. What's the VA? The Veterans Administration, and uh, I'm a veteran, and um, um, several of my uh, uh, attempts at uh, addictions treatment were at uh, uh, VA ran programs, and I uh, wasn't able to. Um, uh, uh, to do what I needed to do. So it's not that they weren't a bad, bad programs. I didn't mean they're actually great programs, but for me at that time, I, I, I just needed a different type of thing. So I left the mentor interview and went and interviewed with the VA rep. And the thing that scared me the most after talking, after having this stuff going on in my, my mind, I was sitting down with the, with the rep, uh, the interviewer, and I knew exactly what I was going to say. I knew exactly how he was going to ask me questions. And it scared me because I'd been down that road before. And I said I had to try something different. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, hey, thank you, sir, for coming in. But I think I'm going to go do a different direction here. And, um, and, um, and so how I came to that piece of... Uh, conversation was that in the interview with the mentors uh, they said well look at your history you seem to make things happen you seem to be doing a few things over and over again and doesn't seem to be working out for you you should think about maybe this door that's being open for you the mentor program is through and you know another kind of um powerful entity that is not in your control but you should think about walking through that and so that resonated with me and that's when it all my history came flooded back when this other guy was talking to me so i made a different decision so let's talk about your history let's go back in time and i was um, born uh, (laughs) and and this is this is uh usually you need drugs for time travel but we're gonna go back uh Chronologically, anyway. By the way, so, how's that coffee? <laughs> I gave you yeah. uh, uh, So I, I don't think whatever you slipped in here is kicking in just yet. So uh, uh, feeling straight and narrow so Thanks, far. Okay, cool. uh, well, that's uh, why it's supposed to be. No, I mean, like, um, it's CCC coffee. How do you like it? Uh, it's delicious. Absolutely delicious. He's nervously um, looking over at <laughs> Kathy Pape to make uh, who, who put all this together yes. to make to make sure everything we're saying. <laughs> Is appropriate. We're fine. Uh, we're absolutely fine. So, where where are you from originally? I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Topeka, Kansas. Let's yeah, see. I think I'm going to sixty miles through. from Kansas City. 
All right. I've so, been to Kansas City before. It's been years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah pretty cool. Um, pretty happy about Topeka. that. Topeka. Am I going? I feel like I'm going through somewhere in Kansas. I don't yeah. remember. Um, no, yeah. Uh, it's uh, the w- capital. Is Wichita, Kansas? Wichita is further south. Okay. Uh, but Topeka is the capital. And um, it's like right on, I think it's 870. So it's a. If you're ever driving through any of the major interstates, you probably pass through it. And so, what? Uh, so, so you said you're in the you're a veteran. You're yep. in the military. Yep. So, um, can you? Was that right out of high school, or? Um, had I went to high school, that probably would have been the, the game uh, okay. plan. Uh, what would have happened? But I, I. Actually, um, so I take it your your drug history started a bit before this. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it started um, just living in my in the environment that I lived in, my household, um, my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, the, probably just on the little on the south side of uh, middle class, and you know, so if you walk three blocks towards the um the big mall area you the 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 houses kind of got different and there was different things going on if you went towards where i had to go to grade school and junior high the the house is a little bit nicer so you could we were kind of on in the middle of this income um kind of thing yeah. and with that this is where a lot of with, people find themselves you know but at the same time i i started using with people from you know from all ends of those spectrums mm. but my history i think it got started um i clearly remember uh uh, seven, eight, nine years old, running around the neighborhood with my friends. Uh, my next door neighbors uh, raced cars, motorcycles, boats. They had these big 55 gallon cans of uh, gasoline. And my thing in the summertime was to lay on those 55 gallon cans of gasoline and huff gas and just lay on them and just fall asleep. Wow. Have, when you were eight or nine years old? I have old? no idea how I started doing that. But once I found, wow. got locked into that, it was kind of a. Uh, yeah. So. I can remember uh, they had to put a fence around it eventually, and all the kids um, are laying on these. But what I, what I, yeah, because uh, my uh, one of my buddies I grew up with, um, I have no idea where he's at. I hope he's uh, doing well. But uh, um, we'd just be running by, and all of a sudden, just stop and just lay on them, and they were nice and warm because the heat from the sun. And it was um, I what I remember what I liked the best about it, and this isn't a public service announcement, kids. So <laughs> I it would just it would just take me to a dreamland that, and I didn't have to, you know, it wasn't like um, things were just like so crazy that I couldn't deal with. I mean, it was like you know, eight years old, uh, right. but I just know that I like that. I liked. Um, just, I just like the feeling. It, yeah, I can't explain no, it. So is, is, it a, is it a stretch? I ended up being an IV drug user. Probably not. Is that was that my gateway drug? Who knows? Um, but I think what's That's tied to all so that as we go along is talking about behavior. So right, right. Um, so eight, nine years old, you're mm-hmm. huffing. Guys, have you ever? What's that? Um, 
Oh, uh, what's the, what, what's the actor? Lead that, and gasoline too, by the way. <laughs> Back in the seventies, wow. that's all it was. Late sixties, uh, seventies. Yeah, yeah. Heavy duty stuff. Uh, the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's probably why, like for years, I didn't. Uh, after I got clean, I didn't have a car until the last or a, a vehicle until the last couple of years. Rode a bicycle. I was afraid of relapsing if I pulled into a gas station. Have you ever seen that Philip that Seymour Hoffman? No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Um, I, I'm sorry. I just yeah. I, I just got thinking about, have you ever seen that Philip Seymour Hoffman um, uh, movie about about huffing gas? No, oh, I, I can't haven't. Even it's really, 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 really interesting good, uh, and dark. actor. It's really sad. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, he he portrayed um, huffing airplane glue and gasoline in a way that because uh, I I never knew anyone that. Yeah, you know, I that, that. I I had experience. That was a little messy. That was, you know. So that was eight nine years old. And it's when interesting did- that like the best glue out there is super glue, and he can't huff that. I think. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would be a problem. So. Right. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, no, but you gasoline was the, was, the, was the trick. And, um, you know, not too long after that, I think I remember, because um, I had, you know, um, a, a sister and brother that are eight and nine years older than me. Okay. And um, certainly not blaming them for anything. Sorry, Gordon, Cheryl. But um, I, I do remember um, things where... Um, you know, they're, and so their friends are all the same age. Uh, they just like their friends, like kind of holding me down and blowing shotguns off joints into my face. And you know, as well, how old were you when that was happening? Eleven. It would be abuse, oh, uh, uh, considered wow. extreme abuse today. But um, well, holding just, a ten-year-old down <laughs> and blowing so, drugs into yeah. his face. And then they like they would sit on me, and then they would tap me in my chest, and they say, like, "Make this big welt on my chest." It's like. Well, yeah. and then you needed more drugs them, because the of the welts on your I would chest. track them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they got to be like, you know, quite a bit older than me. And so I'd be able to push them over in their wheelchair or whatever. <laughs> you know. That's incredible. And then, and then breathe, eat taco flavored Doritos and breathe in my face. It was horrible. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. Was, so, I, I, I like that holding you down, blowing drugs in your face. Ah, yeah. You know, that's one thing. But Dorito yeah. breath? Now that's no, taking things away yeah. too far. Yeah. Um, so that's so eight, nine. You're mm-hmm. huffing gasoline, and then did did you were you did you stop huffing the gasoline once you uh, once you? I'm got, not sure when that um, stopped. I think it stopped after it got. They kind of. Put a big fence around around it. They may have moved, actually. I don't think because of that, but um, right. But I think when other things started getting introduced, you know, there was. I don't remember any intervention. I don't remember anyone really talking to. Actually, I used to get. I think we'd get in trouble a lot because I did that, but no one. I don't remember anybody saying anything except like, "Oh, he's done it again," and someone from my house would come and get me and take me home. So I don't know how I um, hopefully grew out of that, and um, yeah, so, so it didn't go on for a long. I mean, it, I, I, I just I don't know how long it lasted. I know I was about that age when it started, and then other things got started happening. So you're ten. So that's like I guess around sixth grade. Or I was so? in sixth grade, yeah. So Fifth you, sixth grade, and I was doing pretty good in school. Um, uh, 
actually, I think there may have been a, an addiction piece introduced early on. I had a, a, a spiral fracture in my right leg. And when I was a, um, probably right about nine, I believe, and uh, um, I, I think I was, you know, probably got some pain pills introduced. I, I don't, I, I don't know um, exactly what they were. Yeah, right. Um, Which would be obviously gold for someone today that was seeking pain pills to have that happen. But right, you know, right. that's a whole other issue. So. <laughs> so then, ten years old, you're you're forced to have blow, marijuana blown yeah, in your face, yeah. which I would have think would have thought probably had um, kind of a reverse psychology effect when when someone's forcing you uh, to do it. But a lot of young kids are are trying to like sneak into their parents' liquor well, cabinet or whatever it might be. And you're yeah, you're right. It did. It, there was a, I think it was the psychological terror of it all, you know, right. being forced to do something. And it's like, wait, you guys, I'll just sit down and smoke with you. Just give me the opportunity. But I didn't get that opportunity to, to, to have it play out that way. I did after I kind of got hip to it a couple years later, I, I did, um, did steal from them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, so by the time you were 12 yeah. or so, you were, I was kind of dialed in and that was, um, it's pretty common for a lot of us to be, you know, taking a break, going down and hanging out, um, at the uh, big, uh, Nunga park in Topeka. And we'd have, uh, you know, we were having like, you know, hanging out with a lot of older people. Mm. Um, I mean, not, you know, a couple, you know, a few grades, uh, you know, earlier and, you know, having keg parties, going to keg parties. Okay. And for some reason, they didn't seem to mind having a bunch of 12-year-olds 12 12 running around. I think part of it was that uh, we'd show up at this park and uh, and they used to be like on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And it was a big rolling park. I mean, it was huge. And uh, we'd always take uh, our mini bikes and all of, all my friends had, had motorcycles and mini bikes. So I think they just had us around so they could like, you know, get loaded and ride our, our dirt bikes through the park. Right, uh, right. And abused the bikes because they're always coming back. I always had to be fixing them or something. So, so what year is this? Uh, this would have been in probably 73, 74, 75. Okay. Because then I was uh, transitioned into junior high. And um, that's where things really, on the education piece, really, my participation wasn't, I didn't right. want to be there. Well, things were happening is... at home that I didn't. I didn't really. It, things are complicated. Right, know? right. Uh, I didn't say that then. I didn't know they were complicated. I just didn't like it. This, this all sucks. You know, how do I further kind of take my thought process out of it? And so, smoking weed and drinking and not going home, not going to school, and really come as a trip because this was back when uh, the laws were 18 or even 16 for alcohol so it would have been pretty easy so to uh, access uh, for the kids that were yeah. then giving it to you oh let me tell you something so when uh um i was yeah in this uh time frame about uh 12 to 15 uh there was a lady that was the 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 neighborhood uh babysitter and we used to get notes uh, signed by her uh, to go down to the local, uh, what was it? It was, a, it was like a 7-Eleven, some type of quickie mart. And we could give that note saying, pick up a two packs of Palmo uh, cigarettes and uh, a six pack of slits. And yeah. we were able to give them money and do that. Yeah. 
And so, of course, we found a way to copy the notes and do that on a regular basis. And then we wouldn't go too far. We'd actually just go around behind the quickie mart, and that's what we would kind of pop open the six-pack and smoke cigarettes and... So smoking weed at 10, now you're drinking and smoking cigarettes uh, at 12. Um, and, and, then, and I think the one that I hated the most was the I didn't really like the cigarettes that much. Yeah, well. Actually, that didn't stick with me. I feel fortunate for that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the more addictive substances. Yeah. I'm on my second go-around of trying to quit. Oh, well, good um, luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first one lasted for a few years, and... This one's going okay too. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so so then alcohol and drinking, and then often when alcohol is introduced into uh, things, the, things start getting a, a little wilder. Was there uh, other stuff introduced um, um, after that? So yeah, probably the um, you know I, I think as time went on, by the time I was fifteen, it was pretty clear that I was not. Um, opposed to just trying anything that's put in front of me. So I think the first time I injected anything, it was a uh, a methamphetamine. I was um, actually, by that point, I was living in Arizona and um, um, was, you know, was hanging out with these cats that, you know, quite a bit older than me. And we, um, they, uh, we shot up this uh, meth and went on a crime spree actually went so oh, wow. the, the interesting thing is that uh, we so went, your first time doing meth you have been on yeah, a crime spree yeah, as well went, what, what does shooting uh, so when you I shoot meth I didn't sleep for like three, you, days, yeah, three man. days it was uh, well, off of one injection yeah it was crazy yeah wow it was like I mean it's just these crazy bikers and they're they're whatever they this insane chemicals that they put together and uh, it it wasn't really a, a bad experience. A lot of weird things happened. Um, um, I was we were sitting in a house where um, uh, I don't know why we went there. Whether there some money or some drug transaction in this house was um, full of a bunch of uh, uh, Latino people, and all of a sudden we hear these cars pull up and then everybody just takes off running out of the house. And I guess there's like these federal agents and they just came in clearly looking for somebody else and bypassed me and went on about their way left. And uh, I was just sitting there and pretty soon people started coming back into the house. And yeah. I was going, this is, well, that was interesting. Yeah, okay. Now what, where's my right at? How do I get out of here? And, uh, it didn't, none of it scared me as much as, um, intrigued me. And, uh, it was no like thought of like how uh, why is all this happening what is it what is the common denominator here and so i imagine it's kind of an adrenaline rush and everything too and then you're on meth you're probably not so you're wide awake what kind of a crime spree is this there was um, some burglaries that went on actually um, went and burglarized the school i'm fairly sure the statute of limitations is run out on this (laughs) but how i ended up in arizona um was just through a, a, a bunch of events, uh, different foster homes and different family members that would ship me around from that, that period of like 12 to 16. And mm. so my dad was working down in Arizona at this time. So he decided to give a, a hand in, in taking me on and uh, again. And um, so <clears throat> it didn't go too well. Um, we, there were some agreements that um, 
I didn't uphold. And, and this was when you were like 16, you said? I was 16 at, okay. this, uh, at this point. And um, so um, I was working. Uh, uh, so part of the deal was I was, I was going to go to school. So I enrolled in the uh, high school. And uh, I was living in Sholo, Arizona. And uh, I think it was Blue Ridge High School. And um, so uh, um, I, I would start to go to school. But I, I wouldn't stay there. And then at... I ended up hooking up the wrong people. So one of the crimes, he went back and just like stole all the stuff out of the music uh, uh, room. And so that was that crime. That was the start of it. I don't know. Some other things happened, um, but you know, nobody got hurt in this process. So that was one thing I think over the years that I, I really shied away from is like that, any of that kind of anything that support violent. The, yeah, it was a real turn off. I didn't, I wasn't down with that. And also, I learned early on too that doing things like that with a bunch of people, you see, you get caught, you know. Right, right. So I would just kind of end up being kind of as time went on, kind of more of a solo, low level, you know, criminal, you know, stealing, shoplifting a lot, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I did a I did a little bit of shoplifting, and I I got busted so quickly after I started that. Uh, we go to, that yeah, it didn't we go, last is this the point where long. we compare who did the worst things? Right now? Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna get I you mean, to say that. I, I, sure, I, uh, we, we can. I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to compete gonna... too well with you, but but um, I, I, I this I do... is where the hunter becomes the hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I remember when I mean I was in to uh i mean i was just always an adrenaline junkie yeah. I, I was it didn't matter if it was um going on a rope swing or whatever just to get that adrenaline going and that, right. that and that was the only reason why i was really after any kind of um theft or anything. I, I i was more into like vandalism um oh. i i would and it was usually targeted at like the school or whatever yeah. it was like screw you guys you know Wait, targeted my, address, at the man. my address isn't on my business card <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna go vandalize right. your home after right. this after after you giving me your time uh, you're gonna show up and have like, a burning pile go south or when you bad, <laughs> bad reviews on this interview yeah, yeah. Well, that spray paint wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely got into my fair. I, I was a handful for my parents, but I, yeah. I, but I still had my parents there for right. me. And I had a, a, a very, I had an overly stable um, environment, really. I, I was more, you know, upset about how, how, strict my parents were oh, and, oh. you know, trying to sneak out at, when I was, you know, I'd come in for curfew and pretend I was going to sleep and then go out and sneak out and, and go drinking and right. do some yeah. drugs and, uh, and that, that sort of thing. I, what do you mean I, I have to be in that by two o'clock? <laughs> 2 yeah, yeah. It was more like, like nine o'clock. So then I'd uh, be like, right. Hey, I'm going to bed early. Then yeah. I'd sneak yeah. out the window sure, and, yeah. And did uh, you do the uh, stealing uh, parents' cars? Yes, I did. I I would I would like roll my parents' car down the street so they couldn't hear me start it. Yeah, and then uh, and then you know uh, I I would uh, mostly just smoking weed. I would goes on today. Yeah, sure. A little bit more difficult in the newer cars, but I I got into I I mean I dealt weed and and then. and I, I wasn't big into drinking, but I did. Um, I did a little bit of like 
I did a little coke. I did some pills here and there. Not much, uh, but uh, didn't you didn't feel it churning? Didn't feel a grab there? No, no, no grab, no grab whatsoever. Cigarettes grabbed me. Oh wow! uh, And then when I was older, when I was like nineteen or twenty, I finally got an alcohol. Took a while to grab me. I never Mm -hmm. really got it, and then when it did grab me, I, I. really uh i i went into like a real hardcore binge like i would get fall over drunk blackout drunk all all so you're having fun right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. you know and this was just fresh out of high school didn't have my parents restrictions and and uh letting loose and i mean i was a blackout drinker for a long time i I definitely Um, that i think that set in with me early on and um just like so what was the transition into when did you decide to so so you were um I, I so so you mentioned that was your first first time doing math but but did you hate were, math by the way no self-respecting heroin addict uh you will know, well, uh, admit to that so right right <clears throat> i started doing heroin pretty soon after that okay and and then that grabbed you actually i want to say this at um I painted a, a, a very kind of very non kind of loving household. I think my parents did the best. They had their own problems to deal with, let alone and trying to figure out how to deal with, you know, each one of them. My sister, uh, who is a nurse, uh, by the way, she went to nursing school. Really proud of her for doing that. And that was one of her dreams as a little girl. Um, my brother um, had a series of events and uh, couldn't really do uh, work in the way that he would have wanted to, but he'd been has been working at uh, at a bar in Kansas City with the family there uh, for the last thirty plus years, and uh, and uh, <clears throat> you know they're both pretty well together. Mm-hmm. And although um, you know when it came to kind of my participation and you know kind of um, upsetting the family, I think I took it to another level, and um, so things are. Uh, were I think my my parents did the best they could right. with the information that they had. Well, this so, is uh, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of the um, modern research shows yeah. that parents <clears throat> do not have near as much influence on, especially that adolescent like teenage um, in, environment as as they hope that they uh, they will. They don't have near as much control over. Um, there, a lot of times peer group tends to have a lot more of an influence. Well, I, I think, um, a lot of parenting skills from the sixties and seventies, everything was more, you know, the consequential piece, which the, the, the kids are already going, whatever the, the consequences with the, the drug taking, getting kicked out of school, all that stuff, that's already this heavy consequence. But I think you add to that everything was this very punitive and all this punishment grounded or whatever, not going to do this. And so instead of trying to get to a solution, because a lot of times I know for me that any of that punitive stuff just wasn't, wasn't going to correct my behavior. I just, I didn't have, there wasn't information even growing up. Is there something else different, fun that I could do? Right, I mean, right. I got all my, my motorcycles, got bicycles, got, you know, this. It's just like, I guess it could have been part of that adrenaline junkie piece. Oh, absolutely. So, I was the know. same kind of guy. I mean, I think I just didn't have as much stuff put in front of my face yeah, yeah. Um, because I was very open <laughs> to trying out yeah. whatever. And, right. and this was even before... 
Um, you know, alcohol does a fantastic job of impairing <laughs> decision making sure. and yes. impulse yes. control. Yes. But even before, I was I was just up for it. I was up for trying. Um, I seem to anything. think that I made <clears throat> better decisions when I was drunk. Of course. <laughs> I only thought that when I was drunk. <laughs> right, right. Even, you know, that, that is, yeah. That's often what alcohol, <laughs> right. the narrative right. that alcohol right. will exactly. uh, whisper in your And that's why ear. it's kind of funny today that I have a job as the outreach coordinator, which means I literally get paid to talk with people. And back in the day when I was drinking, I used to think my... Uh, uh, last name was Gary. My first and middle name were shut up. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's kind of all kind of jokes on everybody else now that, oh, the the ability to uh, still be able to uh, try to uh, gab, if you will, is, is still present. Right. But so, at least I get to talk about things that are different and, you know, more solution driven. And so I, I feel pretty fortunate that everything that has happened to me in my life um, has shaped to where for me sitting here talking with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I mean, that's, I, that's why I think it's very... Like it. It may not sound like it, but trust me, um, the path, uh, you know, to, to get here was, 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 it was worth it in some aspects. And that's why I think it's important that people kind of hear these stories and yeah. understand this path. And this is my first opportunity yeah. to have, have someone on the program right. um, with, with, with your kind of history. <laughs> Usually it's just me doing the best I can to share my, no, <laughs> my I, I, experiences you know, of my, my personal drug use or whatever that, and addiction problems that I've gone through. And because people definitely attach to personal stories. But I would, I would challenge you to thank also to the, the value of your story, all of our stories are everybody has a story you right. know kathy you everybody people walking by on the street and all our stories are sacred and there's different times where we get to honor them you know different uh, moments in our life how we honor our story and we're clearly not honoring our addiction stories here as much as we are getting to you know um you know there's a learning piece like um and all this is that I can, people can come out of this, you know, you've right. kind of come through, you've come through this piece, right, right. you know, so people can, can come these out of these These are meant to things. be stories about recovery. And, and people don't need to die in this addiction, but right. I, I can, you know, I have tons of my, uh, you know, can be self-depreciating about, you know, some of my uh, uh, jokes I can make about myself, about my using piece, but, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, if, well, I'm just curious about how, how uh, one, how you, how you so, got into the military because because <laughs> when you're this young i mean i feel like it's it, it, i mean were you aware that there was any kind of a, a problem uh, developing because it, i remember yes. when i was a teenager I, <laughs> I i had no i was just like i was always on board with whatever i had i had no kind of red flags going off until i was at least like 22 or I, so i knew i had I was problematic with my drinking and drugging uh, early on at 15, 16, mm-hmm. and um, just because things had happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other side of it, I didn't care. You know, people still seemed to like having me around, right. except when things got bad, and I'd hear about it later. However, but there's so, there, there was no ability to make a uh, taking that judgment call, and it wasn't so much like I always known that I was had an addiction issue, but I didn't want to do anything about it. 
Right. So it wasn't like it's like you know I it's it's not again uh, um, when I look at my history and some of the things that happened. So that incident and I'm talking about the, the injecting the meth and then right that same week or so I did my first shot of heroin with the same people. And that um, that, led a, that that led a different direction. That that triggered something inside me that um, was I, I like. I, it was a where the uh, yeah where the the comparison the two th- things together. Uh, when you're in ability to do that, after a while, it doesn't matter. Just give me a syringe and a needle. I don't care what's in it. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other scene that happens to a lot of people. And that's why I became. But there was something that I clearly was going like, oh, this this makes me feel different. This this is okay. The world is easier to navigate. And mm-hmm. um, then soon after that, I didn't. I, there, there wasn't a, a you know. I didn't become strung out. I mean, uh, probably. Um, I would say um, on some level came became strung out on that, but I was just waiting for it to pop off. But not too long after that, um, some of those crime things caught up with us, and um, I was placed in a position to... Um, I, I was in Arizona, so the judge kind of threatened me, said, uh, the way you're going, I'm thinking Maricopa State Penitentiary or... And I just, like, I just shot my hand up, I'll take that or, Your Honor, whatever that may be. And so he... Uh, they made a decision that uh, I needed to uh, be remanded. By that point, my dad had moved back to uh, 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 Kansas, and um, and um, I was living amok with all these other people. And so I had to go back to Kansas under, like, this house arrest and join the military. So mm-hmm. I, I uh, had was 17, uh, not quite 18. And, and so in 1979, um, I joined the, the, the Coast Guard. So this is like because court I was too, ordered, the, the, the army wouldn't take me. They said I was too mean. So go figure. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I like to swim. You know, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to do the navy, so I joined the coast guard because I had I I wanted to. You know, the recruiter made a pretty good uh, spiel to me, and um, I wanted to be a helicopter uh, rescue swimmer, which I did train to do, but I didn't actually get to do it. But, <laughs> So once I got in the Coast Guard, um, the very first day that I was on our ship, uh, there's a, a buddy of mine that I'd met in, in boot camp. First day on the ship, what we do, go up to the flying bridge and, you know, smoke a big bowl. And, uh, so I got stationed in Seattle in uh, May of 1979. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where bringing you up to that. <laughs> okay. And, and then, so how long were you in the military for? Um, three years. Three yeah. years? Got honorably discharged in uh, 82. Um, for what? I, I got No, I got an honorable discharge. I got uh, discharged oh. in 1982. Uh, so actually what had happened was, I think it was the um, Reagan administration at that time. There, there was a reduction in force called the RIF program. So they were looking at all the military branches and people that had less than a year left. Um they would just pay them off um, to, they'd ask, hey, do you want to extend or, or not? Thing with me, it wasn't really a question of asking me because there were some things that had happened when I was in, in the guard that um, um, I got into a lot of trouble. Nothing major. It's always on liberty or stuff. Um, 
we'd do fishery patrols up to Alaska and things would happen up in Alaska. So you were still alcohol. doing drugs and, oh. Yeah, was, yeah, we were still a lot of drugs and alcohol. Hmm. It was before the zero tolerance really took hold in the, in the military. Hmm. Yeah, so, so a lot of stuff. So the military didn't quite straighten you out. You're still doing. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if that was. Did it the, reel it in at all? I mean, you weren't. Um, you weren't probably on your crime sprees as much when you were. No, in the I had stability. Right. Um, you know, um, it 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 taught me a lot of things. It, it, I'm a big fan of kind of being able to follow the right kind of procedures and you know like the chain of command and i and there's some work ethics that i think that were instilled in me although they're quite a bit different than what i have today but they followed me through the years you know i got out when i was 20 i wasn't 21 when i got out right you know joined i 17 got out when i was 20 by uh, so living in seattle in um the 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 late 70s and early 80s there was this really kind of burgeoning kind of music scene that was even predated before the 90s grunge thing and so i got involved in that i started playing drums and just had a stayed in seattle i didn't go back home like a lot of people when they got out of the military i didn't really have a home to go to so i really liked seattle i liked everything that it had to offer you know, but everything that that was being offered wasn't really, again, the reason right. why I ended up here. You know, right. So. so I want to make sure that we have plenty of, yep. of time left to talk about yep. what you your recovery and what you do do here. So so if if you can, um, so so maybe a, a brief little how how, uh, how you got from the age of twenty one in Seattle to. Um, kind of rock bottom and yeah and I can easily sum here. that up uh, 21 to um, probably um, 30 uh, in Seattle really uh, perfected my heroin habit and homelessness and um, everything that went along with that um, left Seattle in what was that um Probably 1992, got uh, into a, um, actually ended up, went to uh, a, a VA program in Tacoma, and that worked out pretty well. I was clean for like a year and a half. It was a very contained program. They taught these different skills. I became an aerospace painter, got out of that program, got my own place, stayed in Tacoma, and did that for... Um, I was uh, just in yeah. Tacoma last weekend. Oh, nice yeah. city. It, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot different now than what it used to be. But um, uh, uh, things, um, um, I tried to make a go doing kind of normal job stuff, tried to adhere to some of the principles of that program that I was in. However, um, it didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't build a structure around me. So needless to say, got strung out again, ended up back on the streets. And so uh, um, that happened from like 94 to 90. Nine two thousand. What would happen when you relapsed? Was it was would it be like a major stressor, or would it be like oh things things are going okay mm. for me? I think I could probably stand to uh, do a little bit, and I I have it under control. You know, that's always an interesting question about stressors. Uh, I've certainly been through stressors uh, since I've been clean the last fifteen years that um, have been. Um, 
uh, probably more than a good enough reason for me to, to, to relapse or get loaded. But what's different is I'd have enough tools around me. I feel very fortunate that I can come into my office, walk around, see my friends, and they could look at me. And what, and just by a visual look and, and listening to me, they can tell what kind of day I'm having, be it good, bad, or indifferent. <clears throat> and so that's kind of a, a safe zone that's really safe for a person like me. And I, uh, I appreciate that. And I also, I have some different tools. And I think, you know, um, that I think sometimes that we give information like, oh, I think we make it easy for people to find triggers. And, wow. and, 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 and we, we need to, I think here, a lot of the counselors I know, we're giving more reasons of not identifying that you know over the years we've have a kind of a an approach to um come from a you know a, a negative approach here's all the things wrong with you right, over the right. years but now let's, let's start from the strength-based approach mm. so that's like when you tell me that that I, you had an attempt at quitting smoking that lasted a couple of years so you have that within you to do that so you can just right, stretch right. you can you know get that and and more so that's kind of the the thing i, I feel cool about um so how, what, how a treatment is going these days is that kind of the difference, or, or, or what was the difference between the the VA and this uh, the like Central City Concern, this this team of mullets? Um, this was there. Yeah. The what was the difference in the approach that worked for you personally? Well, this isn't. Uh, I, I think what I know now isn't what the program had to offer because it was a wonderful program at the, the different VAs mm-hmm. I uh, experienced except for the, the time that they did an involuntary uh, stay with me in the psych unit that was very horrible but mm-hmm. anyways uh, lived to tell the tale on that I think the beautiful thing about the recovery mentor program and the services attached to CCC was uh, the community aspect of it being housed with people that we all came from this very similar place. We didn't know where the heck we were going, uh, but we wanted to make sure that it wasn't um, uh, representative of our past. And that means the actual using behaviors, um, honesty, how you treat people, how you treat yourself. And I didn't have other opportunities to kind of be forced to do that if you will and it was something that it's almost like a unwritten mandate i think that happens in a community like ours Hmm. and uh it was very uh, i adhered to that more so than i uh just as i adhered to all the other tribes if you will that i gravitated to when i was younger and so that's um using that uh tenacity and that approach i think uh um you know, it's still a learning experience every day, and there's still certain things that I do on a on a daily basis to keep myself grounded and plugged in. You know, so. So that environment took. Did you did you relapse again after um, after uh, uh, November sixteenth, two thousand? Oh, the November sixteenth. Oh, that's right. November sixteenth yeah. was when you went into the to uh, Ducks. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, and so and 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 that took that time. It has still seemed to be taken with me on a pretty good basis here. That's you know, awesome. You know, I don't, I don't know that she 
try to throw something at me. <laughs> you know, I, I guess the, the thing <laughs> is, like, I, I, uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't found a good enough reason to get loaded or to relapse. I'm not really right. looking for one either. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, there's something within that makeup. Uh, <clears throat> if if you're looking for that excuse to do that, you'll find it. And so that's where, again, going back to um, trying to encourage people to build on their strengths. And I had some positions here at CCC that um, have allowed me to to do that. I can share a little so, bit about my personal experience with people and give them some experience, strength, and hope, if you will, and um, try to, you know, make suggestions to them and and just try to be by their side and never suggest to them to do something that I probably hadn't hadn't done and and and, and thing that's positive to their health care or to their uh, uh, recovery or mental health. So you're um, originally in this kind of sober house kind of when situation we started out in the recovery mentor program it's a um it's a uh, um it was at the old danmore hotel that's at twelfth and morrison that um uh, oh i think there's probably 50 of us that occupied 50 we all had our own rooms and so i came straight from hooper detox was picked up by my um uh, recovery mentor brought down to the danmore hotel um Actually went and got a cup of coffee. That was a pretty big deal, you know, and, uh, and that felt pretty nice. And met some people in the in the program that were had been around a little while, and um, you know they had two three months clean, and you know they, everybody looked super, you know, healthy and shit. I was scared, man. You know, right. I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, uh, I was, but at the same time, it was a like a, the interview process. There was like this comfortable scaredness that was going on there's something that I, I i was trusting being scared and i didn't want to like run away mm-hmm. from it so and then got my um uh, went over to the building did my intake with the housing uh, uh uh resident services person at that time and um got my key to my room and so then what's this like is, is there is there meetings each day or is there like kind of well, counseling or? Yeah, well so the structure really is a uh, if you're in that particular program uh, so well let me just say so for me what it what it meant was that i had to uh, <clears throat> uh, sign up to do the outpatient treatment at mm-hmm. uh, at then it was called the Portland Alternative Health Center. So I signed up to do this outpatient treatment, which was uh, the first two weeks was, you know, it's like uh, an hour uh, for the first each day of the week for, and then it broke down to uh, an hour and a half, three times a week. And you did that for four to five months. And then your uh, uh, part of your, uh, program being in the mentor programs that we had um two meetings that we were uh, as mandatory meetings we had a meeting with the rest of the guys that were with our uh, mentor uh once a week and then um a, a a all mentor where all the folks in the mentor program met for uh on fridays for an hour <clears throat> and um then also there's a lot of periodic check-ins so um I couldn't maneuver around any of this without encountering someone that was trying to give me some good information. Mm. So, and then, so 
um, at, at this. Does that make sense to you? No, oh, absolutely. So it's it, no, it's yeah. a pretty busy schedule. You're not right. just like I've had people say, oh, you know, you guys are just in like this really nice building and you're just housed there and just kind of no. It's a if you looked at this, like, this vacation, need, dude. People need day planners <laughs> yeah, to yeah. get through this process in that first six months of being involved in our treatment programs here. There's right. a and then you know that it's almost kind of like a nine to five deal. Um, and then in the evenings. Um, that, you know, you're uh, mandated to do some type of recovery group, be it NA, uh, uh, AA, um, 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 you know, uh, smart recovery, whatever. And you had to, you know, under some processes, you had you had to uh, do something kind of, and they really encourage it outside our internal systems. So that gave uh, me an opportunity to commu- go around in the community and, um, um, do some different community, meet people in the community, branch out of my, my great circle of friends. And okay, I learned how to be friends with these people. How do I do this in this? It's kind of like you drop a, 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 a rock in this pond and it ripples out. So that's how had to start like, okay, branching out. How do I develop these other social skills, uh, that are positive for me, meeting other people and just doing things. And, um, this is what I was curious about. So, how how long after this, um, you know, the sixteenth and in, in, in this re- recovery, and you're mm-hmm. in this sober house. So, how how long um, are you kind of getting treatment there before you start doing some of this integrating back into the community, and then uh, and then eventually um, finding employment? How long does that whole process? So, I clearly remember, and this is super cool, that um, I got into the mentor program a day before Thanksgiving of 2000 and walk into this Damore Hotel, and there's all these people that have been in the program for a little while, maybe two, three months, maybe even a day before me. They're making this big Thanksgiving spread, and it's just like, holy shit, this is pretty cool, mm. you know? And they gave me a chore to do, and uh, I think it was like cleaning dishes. That's usually how it works, but uh, it it worked out pretty um, pretty awesome. So right away, the um, socializing uh, and integrating and trying to be part of the community, I think, was uh, that door was open right away. So then, um, when I got really involved in community organizing, that came. Uh, a few months, probably uh, in February or March of 2001, I was curious as how this recovery mentor program had come about. I've been in other programs, but this is a very unique program. How did it happen? I heard that this uh, organization called the Recovery Association Project, um, which is primarily made up of recovering addicts, uh, um, did um, help uh, do this advocacy work with these policymakers uh, to get this program in place. And I thought to myself, that's pretty damn cool. I want to find out more about this. And I went to one of their monthly meetings. They let me read a uh, poem at the close of that first meeting I went to, and I was hooked, so to speak, uh, from them then on and um, got involved uh, with uh, uh, what's known as RAP, the Recovery Association Project, and um. <clears throat> Did that for for um, several years, doing a community organizing, helping address uh, the stigma of addiction, um, the stigma of addiction uh, related to people in recovery, mm-hmm. and um, um, uh, trying to organize people, telling their recovery stories, their uh, housing stories, and so advocating for uh, funding for uh, uh, for housing and addiction uh, treatment. 
Yeah, that's it. And that's all that's a volunteer. As a jan- my first job at CCC, I, I like to tell people this, that uh, I got a job uh, as a janitor cleaning up the clinic in uh, uh, 2001. Hmm. And did that for probably seven. They're not looking for you, are they? No, a police officer just drove by the window. I'm, I'm always on high alert. Old right. habits. Exactly. <laughs> Is there something that I missed here? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I was fortunate that, um, you know, and I like to say that um, <clears throat> interesting pathways have been laid out for me. I took the distinct honor of like cleaning the building that helped me get clean and took a little bit of pride in that. And so also had enough flexibility when I was doing this uh, recovery association project stuff as a volunteer to move that in around my uh, janitorial schedule. And, and so, um, and then you started mentoring. No, well, it, I did, I did that for about seven years and it was in 2009 that we stumbled across some, uh, uh advocacy expansion grants, uh, through Northwest health foundation. So we created, um, a, uh, a, a kind of full on paid position for a few years for me to, to, to just hands on advocacy and community organizing. And, um, I left the janitorial job in 2009. So, hmm. and been, um, still doing organizing, uh, but along the way, um, in 2000 and, 12, I guess it was, I started doing the, uh, under what's called the CHIPS team, the Central City Concern Health Improvement Projects. Uh, we created a um, five-person hospital outreach team that was part of a bigger um, tri-county grant called the Health Commons Grant. So I gave my hand, I gave up organizing and started doing this more direct service stuff. And um, um, I didn't know how it was going to pan out, but I think it was a very valuable uh, gift development for me and also got to uh, participate and see some folks um, take um, strong um, action in, uh, in their own health care uh, uh, and, and make some choices that, uh, that, that help save their lives. So what are you talking about? What's this involved? So you're, are you, are you this five person team? You're going into like detox <clears throat> facilities? Um, and- no, actually our focus was, uh, people that, um, were uh, uh, patients at Old Town Clinic. They mm. had uh, insurance under health share. They uh, had to have six or more hospital visits in the last 12 months or one hospitalization. So generally our point of initial contact to see if we could work with them was at the emergency department or in a hospital room. Mm. Uh, a lot of times that was uh, that was the best uh, 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 place to grab somebody. And so I'd come up and say, hey, you know, um, you know, Shane, my name's Gary. I'm part of the your healthcare team here at Old Town Clinic. I work closely with your your provider and uh, we're trying to help, um, um, you know, support you so you don't have to end up back in the hospital because we know you don't like doing that. And just have this kind of initial community organizing conversation, relational building conversation and uh, no one ever said no to me and uh, or to our team. Well, there might have been a couple, but no one, uh, they usually um, were really um, open to the idea of having this additional support. Mm. So we, you know, I mean, it, it varied. We'd pick people up out of the detox, go to psychiatric uh, ward, Providence psych ward, and, and it was... Um, um, 
you know, uh, along the way, the it wasn't for me to instill my um, personal beliefs. My beliefs don't don't play into this. My beliefs would keep me focused to do my job. I had to find out what this person's belief system was and help help them understand whether or not that could get them into the place they envisioned themselves going. So I always said I've done other, talked about this before, kind of like being uh, a, some type of a, a seamstress, if you will, or seamster. <laughs> sure. So like, a, what, uh, you know, you're weaving and threading word. people out of this very complex medical system as a hospital and into our, it could be very complicated internal system here at uh, Central City Concern. So, and, but, mm. and walking with them and, and uh, not, taking the part of anything like a provider, mental health, substance use disorder counselor. My job was to connect them with that person that, that they needed to talk to. And uh, it's pretty cool. I had a lot of That's fun doing it too. Yeah. And you must meet people from all walks of life, I um, imagine. Is, is, yeah. is, there, is there like a, is there a common theme that, uh, that you find? Is there... Like, uh, is there an age group or anything that you find to be um, particularly susceptible? Or no, I think not really. the commonality was that the people were just simply alive. Right. But I think as we navigated through that, well, seriously, the 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 thing that was kicking against people are the social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. You know, inadequate safe housing. Uh, that's not affordable. Um, you know, years and years and years of being in and out of systems and like similar to mine, not having a sense of direction. Like it's one thing for someone with an addiction, like it's as easy for me to do a treatment program in the past, graduate that program and then, okay, cool. Here's my certificate, you know? Right. And you know, uh, um, they're actually, there's a, I'll get back to you on time, but there used to be a, a bar up in Seattle that would take certificates of people that graduated from treatment and give you like a pitcher of beer. So that was uh. something <laughs> to strive for. So I don't know if they're still around, but anyway, yeah, so yeah. kind of going back to doing the outreach work, um, you know, it, it's my experiences help shape because I can relate to all that. So right. people are bringing a lot of, it's not the present. It's not right in front of me that I'm seeing. I'm seeing what happened to them as a child, what happened to them all along the way. And, you know, interesting things would happen. What I think one of the coolest things about our team was that we had outreach vehicles. And that was really important to go pick someone up at the hospital and then drive them to their next appointment down at the clinic. And I'd always love to just tell people that, hey, you know what's the difference between this car and a other medical transport and they go what i go you own the radio station put on whatever it is you want to listen to and people would kind of respond to that they'd put something on we'd be driving along i'd ask them oh did you grow up listening to country and western and then they'd tell me this story and then that story tied back to something that happened to them and i could share that information with you know with their permission with their care team and would help us you know yet it's not what i said to people as much as what I heard from them. Hmm. So it's a pretty cool approach. And so it all tied in. It's like my training as a, under um, years of community organizing. So, so before we wrap up, yep. quick plug for central city concern. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody please go to uh, 
um, check out that here we are podcast.com website or you can just go directly to centralcityconcern.org and uh, get more information and um, do you have any advice for uh, people that are listening that are going through um, some real addiction troubles I do. Right I, now? Um, you know um, try to stay hopeful that you can get through this uh, tough time there's phrases like this too shall pass and it, it does if you let it pass and that um there's ways out and it's it's it, it can be hard work but there's lots of organizations around that can help uh, uh give you that information and you know you're deserving of it everybody's deserving of a of a, a good quality of life Thank you very much, you. Gary Cobb, for sharing your story and um, mm. and having such a unique and interesting uh, perspective. Mm. This has been incredibly entertaining. I appreciate your time. Thank and you. Uh, thank you, listeners, for being <clears throat> curious and tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Thank you, guys, for listening. So write me at the herewearepodcast.com website. Let me f- know, what, uh, know what you think about it. Uh, taking the the charity angle and and maybe you'll have some suggestions for me and uh, possibly some some issues that you would like to know um a little more about i i haven't decided on what topics yet to cover i'm i i have some ideas and i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything and i don't have anything confirmed or locked up just yet but so i'm open to suggestion and um also please again the the charity link this week is a little bit different we're, we're now tracking um donations and this is a, a kind of a beta test so if you can go on and donate to this um the central city concern through the here we are podcast and so we can see how that's going to work with tracking and and um helping maybe in, inspire other listeners uh to donate once they see that uh, some of you some of you are have been contributing and uh next week on the program super excited we are diving right back into um some some real heavy science uh some awesome stuff i have political scientist anthony lopez on the program who does a lot of really cool stuff about um and he uses evolutionary psychology and and biology ideas as well to to examine war and how we um, how humans kind of create states and how we kind of construct these uh, these cities and, and how that affects our lives, really, really, really strong episode. This uh, this one um, might be uh, one of my one of my absolute favorites um so so really 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 strong episode next week make sure and tune in for that and i'll talk with you guys later Say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Well, Mister Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein. 
and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Sonfeld, I'd love having you 